Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Everyone who gave last week in the miracle offering, we're off to an amazing start. The, the goal is not just to raise money. I think it's important for us to understand that. The, 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 the real purpose of the miracle offering uh, is that all of us would have a part to play in sowing into and moving into the next season of the life of this church. Uh, and so that means that our participation in the miracle offering is a lot more important than the amount of money that we give. Not that the amount isn't important. We're to give generously. We're to give cheerfully. Uh, we're to give sacrificially. Uh, but it does mean that regardless of our financial position or situation, if God has added us to this church, this is something that we should be sowing into, giving into. So today I want to look at a passage of scripture uh, that I think will bring some prophetic context to this season that we're in. Uh, I really have two objectives today. One is to provoke us to give if we haven't already and to give us context for that. But also for those of us who have already made a commitment to build faith towards what I believe God is going to do uh, in our lives individually and the life of our church moving forward. So I'm going to speak today from this story of the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. There's actually two different miracles that Jesus performs in feeding a multitude of people with a small amount of resources. There's the feeding of the 5,000. And then there's the feeding of the 4,000. The feeding of the 5,000 is actually a very unique um, uh, miracle. <laughs> you, know, you good over here, mate? Bless you, my brother. The feeding of the 5,000 is a very unique miracle because I didn't know this before this, uh, preparing for this message, but this is the only miracle other than the resurrection that is told and, and spoken of by all four gospel writers. Other than the resurrection, this is the only miracle in all four of the gospels. I found that pretty amazing. There was something about this that every gospel writer felt is significant. This must be included in the account of the life of Jesus, the history of his life. And so we're going to pull some insights out of all of these um, accounts or a couple of these accounts, but we're going to focus primarily on John's account. Now, John's account is also unique amongst all of the four accounts because John is the only of the gospel writers that uh, highlights the fact, the reality, that it was actually a little a, a boy who offered this bread and fish. We don't get that from any other account except for John. So before we read the passage, we'll, um, we'll set the scene. This isn't really clear in John's account, but when you look at all the other accounts, what, what we realize is that um, there was already a context going on here to this miracle. Jesus had just received word that his cousin, John, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod. He had been, been put to death. And we have to assume that Jesus had a pretty significant relationship with John. 
right? Mary and Elizabeth, John's mother, were, were tight, so their moms were tight. They were, um, they were related, so I've, how were they related? I think she was like her aunt or, anyway, there was a connection there. And uh, they're cousins, so they're hanging out. I can imagine like when they're young kids, like they're just playing together. They've had this relationship that they've been cultivating over a long period of time. Uh, beyond just a ministry assignment. And at the same time, uh, Jesus and the disciples had just finished a massive ministry outreach to these villages and towns. He had, Jesus had just for the first time laid hands on and sent out the 12 to go minister around and gave them authority to cast out demons. And so there's this groundswell of interest in Jesus. Jesus is this one who can heal and work miracles. Uh, it wasn't just Jesus doing this now, it was now his disciples that, that the, the power of God was flowing through. And so you've got all of this, this extreme level of interest in, in pursuing Jesus. So let's read John 6 uh, in light of all that. Uh, John 6, beginning in verse 1, we'll read 15 verses here. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So they were going to get away. They wanted to have a little bit of time away from all the crowds. Jesus is wanting to get away and grieve a little bit and just rejuvenate, just refresh themselves um, and rest. And then verse 2 says, And a large crowd was following him. Uh, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that, the, that these people may eat? Now he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. Now, a denarii was uh, a day's wages. So we're looking at um, 200 days worth of wages. So tens of thousands of dollars, he's saying, would not be enough to feed all of these people. One of his disciples, Andrew, <clears throat> Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. The title of our message today is The Miracle is in the Multiplication. The miracle is in the multiplication. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence. You've been here. Thank you for the revelation of all that you've done for us and the finished work of Christ and your body that was broken, just as this bread was broken and shared and multiplied with many. Oh, you've broken your body and this gospel has gone forward and multiplied and been shared with many and 
will continue to multiply. Father, there's so many truths in this passage. God, I pray that you would open our eyes, speak to us very clearly. Thank you that the spirit of wisdom and revelation is here. Oh, we're hungry to hear your voice. Give us context for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives in this church in this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, last week, our team of intercessors were gathering in our pre-prayer power, prayer power. So we have this prayer meeting before prayer power, 2.45 on a Sunday. You're welcome to join us. And uh, Steph was there and prayed something over the church that I really felt was a prophetic statement for us. And it was that statement here, the miracle is in the multiplication. God highlighted this phrase. It's this declaration of something that God is calling us to, <clears throat> to lay hold of as we come into a season of an accelerated sense of God's purpose amongst us. One of, um, one of Paul's common metaphors and, and, and what we hear, hear spoken of about what the church is, uh, is the body of Christ. The church is Jesus' body in the earth. And so we can look at the human body to find some helpful metaphors to help us understand uh, the church. And when it comes to human life, there is nothing that is more fundamental to our life and our existence than multiplication. The multiplication of the smallest and, and, and some of the most minute parts of us, our cells. Human life actually begins at conception when uh, two cells merge, come together. So the cells of two people come together and become one cell. It's called a zygote. And then it begins to multiply. One becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16, and that so on and so on and, and begins to uh, continue. There's this multiplication. And those cells multiply and begin to then group together, form different organs and different body parts. Uh, and then after the baby is born, those cells, uh, it, the baby's formed and all the parts are formed and the cells continue to multiply and a child grows and continues to grow because of, what do you think? Multiplication. Even when we get into adulthood, our cells continue to multiply, to replace and repair dying and damaged cells. So multiplication is fundamental to our very existence, to our life. Without multiplication, we, will, we have no life. It's a product of our life. Multiplication leads to more uh, rapid growth than addition because what multiplication is, is essentially repeated addition. Right? So four times three is uh, four plus four plus four. So it's this combination. I know you don't really want a math lesson today, all right? But it's, don't lose me, all right? Some of you are checking out. But it's not just one cell that's adding all the cells. Every single cell is adding one cell. And so you got billions of cells adding billions of cells, and that's what multiplication is. It's every part of the body adding, which leads to the body itself multiplying. And so we see this concept of multiplication all over scripture. It's all throughout scripture. In Genesis, at the very beginning, what does God say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. So they were to go forward 
and increase. They were to have healthy babies who grew up to themselves, multiply, have babies, who would then grow up and have babies, and there would be this increase in the earth. God's covenant promise to Abraham, what did he say? I will bless you and I will multiply you, so much so that your descendants will be innumerable as the stars of the heavens and the sand on the seashore. The Israelites in Egypt, they multiplied so rapidly that they could no longer be contained in Egypt, right? The Egyptians became very afraid of them. The nation of Israel, part of their blessing in the promised land was that they would multiply. King David and King Solomon begin to multiply the, their influence and multiply their wealth because the, there, were, there were other kings and queens and, and government leaders that would come and be so in awe of their wisdom and their power that they would pay them tribute for protection and, and just honor them with gold. And so their resources multiplied because not just one, but there were many kings uh, and queens adding to their wealth. Even among the prophets, we see this concept of multiplication. We have both Elijah and Elisha who multiply oil on behalf of widows. Uh, throughout the prophetic books, we're promised this coming kingdom that would be established in the earth that would grow rapidly through multiplication. Jesus picks up this prophetic prophetic theme of the kingdom of God and multiplication, speaking of seed being sown in the parable of the sower, and it will multiply when it's sown in good soil, a healthy heart, what'll happen? It'll multiply 30, 60, 100 fold. There's the parable of the mustard seed that grows into a big tree and produces all kinds of other seeds. There's seed time and harvest spoken all through. Do you see how multiplication is everywhere? It's all around us. Of course, there's the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000. We'll talk more about that. Luke speaks of multiplication. What does he say multiplies? In the book of Acts, the word of God began to spread. It began to multiply. Why was it multiplying? Because it wasn't just one or two or the 12 that were proclaiming the gospel. Who was? Everybody was. Each one was adding one, which led to the word of God multiplying rapidly. And then, of course, we see in the book of Revelation, this great multitude. Where did the multitude come from? They came from multiplication of the saints to the point where every nation, people from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and language, languages were bowing before the throne and before the Lamb. So God's kingdom operates through multiplication. That's right. A little more group participation would be nice, all right? Maybe you didn't quite know what to say, but come on, stay with me. And so we see, we see people, even in the world around us, who don't know Jesus harnessing the power of multiplication, right? This is the power of compound interest, all right? Question for you, would you rather have $1 million a day for the next 36 days, or would you rather have one cent that was promised to double every day for the next 36 days. Now, it just so happens that first one sounds pretty nice. And you probably have a better time in the first couple of weeks, all right, if you chose option number one. But something begins to kick in a few weeks into the process, and by the end of 36 days, you wouldn't just have 
the addition of daily a million, 36 million, you'd have $700 million, right? Some of you are like, just give me either one. I don't care. Both would be fine. But that's the miracle of multiplication. We can talk about the miracle of multiplication in the context of the Great Commission and going to make disciples. Um, if I led a thousand people to the Lord every day, Matthew, if you did, you're pretty rad. You're an evangelist, right? You love to talk to people. If Matthew here led a thousand people to the Lord every day for, let's say, 32 years, every day, 365 days a year, he'd not only be a very tired man, but uh, he would have been a very fruitful man, and he would have led about 11 million people to the Lord. But imagine if Matthew led Ben to the Lord, and then they just discipled someone for a year, and then at the end of that year, they each went and led somebody else to the Lord and discipled them. Two becomes four, and then those four do the same thing. Four becomes eight, eight, 16, 16, 32, just every year, just one a year. Guess how many people? We had 11 million in the addition evangelism. Guess how many? By the end of 32 years, 8.5 billion people. The whole population of the world reached in 32 years. That's the power of multiplication. And so it's no wonder that Jesus' answer to the problem of how we're going to feed all these people was what? Multiplication. And so there's a few key lessons that we can pull out of this passage around the miracle of multiplication. The first one is this. Miracles of multiplication are intended to reveal the glory of Jesus. There's at least two things revealed about Jesus in this passage that speak of his glory. Uh, we see this in Mark's account. When he went ashore, he saw a great cloud and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is that same story of feeding the 5,000. Remember, Jesus is trying to get alone. He just wants to grieve. He wants to rest with his disciples. I don't know about you, but if I saw the big crowd coming, I'd be running higher up the mountain, right? Just give me some space. But what does Jesus do? He feels compassion. He sees their need. He sees their hunger. He feels this strong desire to help them, to strengthen them. I'm sure there were people that were sick and broken and in need of healing. And so this is a revelation of the beauty and the glory of Jesus in his love and his compassion and his selflessness. Just as he is loving and compassionate and selfless towards all these people here on this day, guess how he feels about each one of us? He's loving, he's patient, he's gentle, he's compassionate, he's selfless towards us. And so we, we, we see his glory revealed here in his kindness and his love. But there's another aspect of his glory revealed in this miracle, and we see it at the end of the John passage. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew. Jesus wasn't ready to be made king. There was much more that had to be done. And so this miracle of multiplication reveals Jesus' authority, his kingship, his rule, his right to rule. The miracle points to the fact that this is the Messiah, he is the chosen one. He is the one who rules over all. They were expecting this Messiah, this king to come. And they're ready to just, let's do it now. Let's, make, let's get this done. Let's make him 
the king. And so when we see his authority, what does that mean? It's this right to expect his obedience. Just as he was perceived as king then, he's and, and proven to be king in his resurrection, we're expected to respond to him, not just his love, but his kingship, his authority. That means that he has the right to expect our complete, total submission and obedience. There's no part of our life that he cannot touch. It all belongs to him. And obviously, it's a gradual process of learning how to submit our whole hearts and our lives to him. And recognition of his, his authority and his lordship is not perfection. We're not talking about being perfect. We're talking about having a heart of surrender, a desire to just give him everything. And yeah, granted, some days we may not feel that desire. But on our best days, that's what we really want, isn't it? We want him to be totally in charge. Why? Because we're so thankful. Because he's, he's loved us. He's been so good to us. And so miracles are about one thing. It's about pointing to the glory of Jesus. The one who makes a way where there is no way. The next thing we see is that miracles of multiplication must begin with an offering. John pulls out this fact that there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. No matter what the multiplication miracle is, multiplication has to start with something. What happens if you multiply by zero? What do you get? You get zero. Math lesson number two for today. Thank you, Steph. You got to start with something. A human being begins with the offering of two cells that become one cell. That begins to multiply. A great harvest begins with scattering seed that begins to Multiply. And in, with, and in the case of this miracle, we see this offering of five loaves of bread and two fish. Think about what it must have been like for that boy. Think about the temptation he probably had. Temptation any of us might have had. What do you, what, what, what do you, what, what's going on here, Jesus? Wait a minute. I'm the only one who came prepared today for this time with you, and you're asking me to give you my fish and my bread. This boy could have said, What's the point? Two, two, two fish, five bread? How, what, what is this for so many people? What are we going to divide this up into 5,000 pieces? A lot of good that's going to do, Jesus. We're all tempted to feel that unless that we, we can come up with something big, maybe it's not even worth offering. All of us might tend to say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. I've been doing the hard work. I, I'm the one who came here prepared today. Or we might make some other excuse. Jesus is not so much concerned about the size of our offering. He's concerned more with how much is left over after we give. We see this in the woman who gives these two small coins. Jesus is standing watching what's coming into the offering at the temple. And all these wealthy people are giving out of their abundance. And, and he says of this woman who gave two small coins, she gave more than all the rest because she gave out of her poverty. And so what Jesus was looking at was really how much was left over after what was given. Jesus this day could have brought his own fish and bread to multiply, could he not? He could have planned for this. I know what's going to happen today. All these crowds of people are going to need something to multiply. He could have even told the, the disciples, bring something. He could have uh, 
he could have even multiplied less, but we'll get to that in a minute. The point is, God wants to include each one of us in his miracle of multiplication. He chose that day to multiply the sacrificial offering of this boy. He needs something to begin with to multiply that we offer. The next thing we see in this passage is that Jesus expects us to willingly give him our best. In Matthew 14, in Matthew's account of this, uh, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And Jesus says, bring them here to me. He, expects, he expected the boy to willingly give his best. He didn't ask for half the offering. He didn't ask for one fish and one piece of bread, which he could have multiplied, could he not? He could have completed the miracle with that, but he wanted the boy's best offering. He wanted it all. He wanted, he wanted the boy's sacrificial trust. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to necessarily clear out our savings account for the miracle offering. Although maybe some of us heard that from the Lord. Uh, you better hear that from the Lord if you do that. I'll tell you that right now. But what it does mean is that he wants to be in control of our giving. He wants us to humbly come before him and respond in obedience even when what we think we're going to give is something we'll never get back. I mean, you think about this boy and what he gave in that offering. Like he didn't know that it was about to be multiplied. He just had to willingly trust and obey. Our money is God's before it's ours. The boy had to trust that he was still going to be filled, that he would not grow hungry, and he passed the test. And so our commitment to God's calling and placement of each of us in covenant family is revealed in the willingness of our heart to give into the miracle offering. And again, thank you to all of those of you who gave last week. I mean, I, it's so beautiful just to see the, the willingness of, of the hearts of what God's building here. It just speaks of, of health and it speaks of substance and, 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 and what God is building, the unity in the heart. The next thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is not limited by the size of our offering. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. See, that's the whole point of the miracle. He's not limited by the size of, of our offering. The point of the miracle is for him to do something miraculous and show his glory, to do something supernatural, something that only he can do with the little that we give him. Jesus uses multiplication to make five loaves and two fish enough for 5,000. I don't know, I, I would love to see how he did that. I mean, what did he do? Did he like break it up? There were, you know, there's the reference to 12 baskets and did he break it up into 12 different parts and put it in? They carry it around and keep reaching in and it just keeps filling. And like, did the disciples look in and see it like multiplying in there? And then at some point it had, it was full even after they're reaching in. And, and so you want, what did that actually look like? We don't know. But without a miracle of multiplication, those people that day would not have been fed. And the reality is, is that without a miracle of multiplication, uh, it's going to be very challenging. I would say, just as this story 
impossible to move into a new facility in this season of the life of our church, but we are responding to a prophetic word that we had from Pastor Corey about something that God would do very quickly. And uh, even in the next six months from when he gave us this word a couple months ago. And so we're believing and trusting God that by the end of March, uh, God is going to lead us into a new facility and make a way through multiplying this offering to take us into a new facility. Because, you know, there's acquisition costs, there's fit out costs, there's the lease payments. If we lease a property uh, in the interim uh, to cover any shortfall. And so we're going to need a miracle of multiplication. Now, what might that look like? Well, that might mean that God puts it on the hearts of others on the other side of our sacrificial giving to give over and, and people who aren't even a part of our church to give even more. That could happen. That may mean that a property owner may offer us a property at a ridiculously low price. That would be a miracle of multiplication. That may mean that God may lead someone to give us, or we may negotiate even a rent-free period for a property. That might mean that tradies donate their time, uh, their labor. That might mean that suppliers donate supplies for the fit out. That, that may mean that Martin and, the, and our team of business managers and those who are going to find this property would have a creative wisdom to, uh, to negotiate a, a deal in a supernatural way or to create an income stream from this property that would cover uh, operating costs from this property. That may mean all of the above. But this is what we're beginning to direct our faith to, that on the other side of our offering, God is going to do a miracle of multiplication and somehow bring glory to himself by moving us, even in this season of the life of our church, where we're still relatively small, to lead us into this next season of occupying our own space, our own place in this city. But God, we, we trust, we give trust in God will multiply whatever we give him. He just desires something to start with. He wants us to give a seed. The next thing we see in this story is that when Jesus multiplies, his vision is abundance. I love this. 12 baskets left over. They're going out and pick up everything left over, 12 baskets full. Why else would Jesus do that except to demonstrate the abundance of his miracle provision? Even after the feeding of the multitude, after all the needs are met, what is left over in the baskets is a multiple, it's a multiplication of what we started with, all right? So you got five pieces of bread, two small fish, multiplied, feeds all the people, and then becomes 12 baskets full left over. Even the abundance that's left over is an extreme multiplication. And so this boy doesn't just get fed that day. He probably went home with a little extra. I'm sure they hooked him up. God's heart is for abundance. And I believe that that means for us that through this miracle offering, on the other side of this miracle offering, God wants to bring abundance to our personal lives, to our businesses, and to our church. 
How do I know this? Well, we see it in the passage. We know the, the principle of abundance, and I've seen it in my own life. I remember one of the most amazing financial miracles that I, that we ever experienced in our lives was in the season after we had, uh, we'd lived in Australia for eight years from 2003, and then we moved back to the States. And we were part of a church plant there. Things went a little bit awry. It was a very difficult season. One of the most difficult financial seasons of my life. I made some very bad decisions. I was struggling on the income side and we had six kids and um, got to buy groceries. You got to buy petrol. And so it got so bad that I'm like, we're like going into the negative. All right. Just to, just to pay the bills. Very difficult season. We get to the end of this, this year and a half, the church plant kind of falls apart. Uh, there was the, the other guy that was leading it had made a decision to move back to the city he'd come from. And we're just standing there like, man, we, we loved Australia. We moved back here for this. Uh, what is happening? And we began to sense God saying, I'm calling you back to Australia. I think maybe even, maybe we weren't even ever supposed to leave. I don't know. But we, it confirmed, that season confirmed in our hearts, God had called us to Australia. And so we, we'd make a decision, all right, we're going to believe God and trust God. Now, you know, to move a family of eight back to Australia, a little bit costly, costs a little bit of money, all right? Airfare, moving all of our stuff, getting a new house set up on the other side, all of that. And in this season, not only are we, you know, struggling, we're doing everything we can to, you know, we'd have a windfall of money and we, you know, it's like, we should probably pay this, we should buy groceries. And I felt the Holy Spirit we, we did together, agreed. Uh, God sang to us to sow $1,000 to this pastor in the city. And it was at that time for us, that was a very sacrificial gift, extremely sacrificial. And it was the only little, it was our five loaves and two fish. It was, it was pretty much all we had to, to give. But we gave it. And uh, we set out to raise support. I remember our situation was so bad. I've shared this with you before. I sat down with one of my pastors in that season and I shared with him what God had put on our hearts and what we were going to do. And he was like, mate, you're, well, he didn't say mate because he's American. He said, you're dreaming. Just, what are you thinking? You're in debt. You just need to just focus on provide, get a job, do something, provide for your family. I was like, I, I know in my heart, God's called us to do this. So I'm going, we're going after it. You know, we're going to see all of our ministry partners and we're doing everything we can. And I managed to raise like $6,000, which was a great effort. That was a good win. That was a win. That was a multiplication, right? But the problem was, is I needed uh, $12,500 by Tuesday, and this was Friday, to uh, book our flights because the fares were going to end. At that point, it was going to get a lot more expensive. Like, God, I, this is the date. I'm we're trusting you, believing you for this get to Sunday, two days before, at church, somebody gives me a little card, uh, go out, I think, oh, that's nice, it was, I knew who it was, I thought, oh, it's probably, a generous gift would have been $500, it's great, we'll add it to it, this is wonderful, praise God, open it up, $6,500, the exact amount we needed to book our airfare two days later. Over the next six weeks, I don't even remember how it happened, it just somehow multiplied in the basket, we had another like 10 grand came, come in. We were able to ship all of our stuff over and move back to the land that we love. We get here, 
God opens up a door for me to start a business, didn't have a ministry opportunity, and usually in starting a business, it takes some time to achieve some profitability. From the very beginning, this business begins to be profitable, providing for my family, six-figure-a-year business, God's prospering us. Not only that, but then like another $25,000 just lands in our bank account from another source. And we're like, what is happening? This is like this windfall. We were able to get our house set up, have a little bit of money in the bank, just a bit. It was like God restoring. Oh, another thing, I got a letter from the credit card company in the States that we were in debt to. They had completely wiped out the debt. When does that ever happen? A letter from the credit card company saying, uh, here's a a tax uh, form to show that this was income for you. We've just written off this debt significant amount of money. And so out of this little seed of obedience, God begins to multiply. Because why? We live in a kingdom of abundance. No matter what the financial situation is, he can multiply, he can turn things around, he can restore. Jesus' vision for us is abundance. I want to encourage you, if you've given extravagantly, if you've given sacrificially last week, if you're intending to give that way today, trust God for some abundance. Trust God for another level of breakthrough. Trust God for for new clients in business. Trust God for promotion at work. Trust God for new wealth creation ideas. Trust God like my Ben over here just finds money laying around all the time. It's like one time found money in, in the top of a bin. We went camping, camping. Santa Cavi walks in and he like reaches in and there's a $20 bill right in there. <laughs> walking through the park in this completely secluded area, walking through and, and he looks down, picks up like brand new AirPods. <laughs> like what is happening? Then he sewed them, he gave them to his brother. Then I think you lost them, didn't you? But anyway, (laughs) leave that part of the story out. Too late for that. Anyway, I encourage you, believe for abundance. Believe for breakthrough. One final point, access to God's miracle abundance. Miracle abundance is not an excuse for a lack of diligence and stewardship. I think this is really something the Holy Spirit revealed to me in this passage, which is really a word for me and for Martin and our business team. Jesus, we see in this passage, he, he despised waste. He saw that the, the, the fruit of the, the miracle of multiplication, it was holy. It was valuable. Gather the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. How amazing is that? Even amidst the supernatural abundance even amidst Jesus' capacity to create something out of nothing, Jesus is mindful of stewardship. He's mindful of valuing the fruit of multiplication. He didn't see it as easily replaceable. He didn't have an entitlement heart or attitude. He showed deep gratitude for what God had already done in multiplying what had been given, the offering. And so every bit of God's miraculous provision in this offering is valued. This keeps us from having an entitlement attitude. It helps us to remember to always marvel at God's miracle, valuing what he's done, never growing too familiar 
So in light of this, I, I want to just commit to all of you that as your pastor, together with our business management team, we will treat what God multiplies here and will treat this offering as holy because Jesus does. It's a holy offering unto him. We will steward it well. Our hope is to move into a new facility. That's what we're asking him for. That's what we sense because of prophetic timing, even in a very short amount of time. But regardless of the timing, all of these funds are going to be set aside. They'll be in an account and they will sit there and all of them will go towards uh, God's provision for us in a facility of our own. We'll, of course, be making all these decisions in partnership with our global business team in Melbourne, Melbourne, who helped to provide accountability and support for us. And, um, of course, because it's just the principle of the kingdom adhering to a very high standard of diligence. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.